first episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome once again to Absolute Absec. Uh, today, we've got Evan Johnson joining us again after a good like year-long reprieve, I guess, from Evan's perspective. Uh, Evan was one of the first guests that we had on the podcast way back when when we were super unprofessional. Nowadays, we're just kind of unprofessional. So, um, But you know, welcome again, Evan. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, last time I was on, I drank a lot of beer during the podcast, and now you do it at nine in the morning, and I can't do that. Yes, we are well aware of that. There's a reason why it got more professional. We stopped doing uh, it at you know, like 10 o'clock at night. and I mean, maybe we should have like an absolute AppSec after dark. I don't know, whatever. You know, there we, we go. We can say what we really think, you know. You don't I, say I mean, what you really think? Oh, I don't? No, I, I'm pretty sure I do. It just, you know. I know I, I do. Know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there, uh, there's a couple of items. Last week, uh, we were off. Ken and I were both at uh, Global AppSec DC. I got it right the first time this time. Um, where we taught our course, went well, met a lot of people. Um, if you came up to us and said, hi, great. If you attended the course, great. Thanks for... Thanks for reaching out. It's always fun to actually meet people face to face rather than just than just online. Uh, next week there won't be a show, or if there is, it'll be a live show from Amsterdam, where we'll be at Global AppSec Amsterdam. So Ken and I will be teaching the course there again. Secure code review. Um, if you if you don't have the opportunity to come to one of the courses, please reach out to us. Uh, Ken and I do provide that content. If you're trying to learn how to do code reviews, uh, it's not like a secret that we have. We'd love for you to come and take the course with us and actually get the hands-on experience. But if you don't have that opportunity, there's the Secure Code Developer podcast that we gave previously uh, that kind of walks through it shortly, but also the content is out there. We'd love to provide it to you. Um, other than that, uh, I don't think like we, we didn't really have an AppSec Minute today, today but Evan actually brought something up uh, that was before we went live that's been going around twi the Twitterverse, the security Twitterverse or the security drama verse, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, and it's a recent vulnerability from Tavis, right? Um, Evan, you want to give us a quick background on what it is? You, you were tracking a bit more than we are. Yeah, it's uh, a LastPass vulnerability in the Chrome ex or the, I don't know if it's all extensions, but at least the Chrome extension where uh, you can end up a malicious yes. web page could potentially do a click jacking attack on uh, your, the user of a LastPass user and retrieve the previous site's password that was um, auto filled in. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, this one's an interesting one. I, one for sure. Uh, I mean, obviously people are, you know, on Twitter, you know, they're going to freak out because it's a, it's a password for a site that they're not currently on. Right. And rightfully so that is, it's bad. That's a serious vulnerability needs to be fixed. It looks like from the, the write-up and Ken, I don't know if you posted this yet, but the write-up write from Tavis, it does seem like it's a Mozilla extension or browser extension. It seems to cover each of them. So it's every LastPass install. I mean, it has been patched. 
but it, it, it was in every single version. Um, yeah, I'm going to put the actual link to the bug. That link I just posted was for the Ars Technica right up on it. And here's the actual, let me put this, there we go. There's the actual, um, I'm covering Evan's face when I do this, by the way, just realized there I'll switch it for temporarily. Um, but yeah, that, that link, uh, will, it just describes the, the technical aspects of that bug, which is like click jacking essentially. Yeah. 2019 click jacking. It's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think, well, I can't speak for everybody, but I've always looked at click jacking as like a, eh, you know, okay. <laughs> um, cool. You know, but like, uh, the, the use case here where you're able to see the, the creds of uh, the last place they logged in, um, using LastPass with the Chrome or Opera extension. Yeah, it's kind of cool, I guess. Um, I thought it was interesting that you said, Evan, that some folks were like, which I could totally see this. They're like, ditch your password manager, go back to whatever other means of password management they had, which is like probably sticky notes, probably writing it down, probably just using some easy to remember password, the same password everywhere. Yeah, I've, I've seen every hot take from, uh, we report on LastPass on our risk register, not to put the person who said that on blast. Uh, I, I saw somebody say that in a, another Slack group I'm in where they, were, they said, we put, our, we put LastPass on our risk register that we report on at our executive and board level. And then uh, also, what are you doing using LastPass? But at the end of the day, you look at this bug and it's like, okay, Tavis found a serious bug. Uh, it's clear that there's a lot of spaghetti code there, but the the log me in and LastPass team are still fixing these bugs and got to it promptly and auto patched and uh, and for the most part they're good to go. And thank goodness they're getting all this great security research from Tavis to make their product better. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of wild to me to see these hot takes uh, because the alternative is not very pretty. Yeah, I, like I always find it interesting on Twitter. I, I, it's so hard pr to predict what people are going to lose their minds about, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, 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 okay, the three of us, we go through, read through that technical and we're like, da da da, okay, yeah, clickjacking. All right, yeah, it's serious. There's a vulnerability here. And then it's like, oh, it's auto patched. All right, you know, so I'm going to make sure that LastPass isn't at that version and we're going to move on. And yet, I, like, it is indicative that there's probably other problems that exist there. But like bringing serious it up to executives, yeah. yeah, serious shit, right? Like yeah. serious-ish is what I was calling it. Serious-ish. I don't know that I would, I, I, okay, out of all the bugs that the three of us have seen and that the people watching this podcast have seen, where does that rank really? I mean, honestly, like not to be a jerk about it or to undermine the research, but like, do you, you know how many horrible, horrible bugs I've seen? This doesn't even like, touch the this doesn't even like scratch the surface for me i don't you know again like you guys might have different opinions but that's my take is like this is this doesn't even really register as much to me no like keep well, using last pass they'll patch it whatever yeah yeah well and i mean okay switch to one password right like if you're really worried about <laughs> yeah, it but exactly. i but i can guarantee you that there's something with one password that's probably just as serious that hasn't been discovered yet you know Heaven forbid, you know, Tavis changes target from LastPass to one password or whatever. But um, 
I, I mean, there's always those risks that exist that are out there. I, like the issue that I have is that there's more like the custom stuff that your teams are developing probably have much bigger issues in them than what's going on with LastPass, right? I, I mean, I know we've all seen that from the consulting perspective or even being embedded on, in an organization as the stuff that we probably can't talk about is way worse than, hey, there's one cred that actually got like exposed and we're going to have to rotate that, right? Realistically. So so I'm with you, Ken, on that one. I, so anyway. Yeah, I'm not super afraid of how that's uh, going to play out. But yeah. yeah. LastPass has, has, they had a serious breach a few years back though, right? Like one that was actually serious where I think... God, I don't remember the details, but I, I think it was like actually like data being leaked or had been stolen or something. I could be completely yeah, I don't want to like breached in 2016 or something. I can't remember. Uh, and uh, it's it's good to note, though, that this was like their main user database, which is completely separate from the password database. Yeah. Um, and having worked there and seen the real separation, uh, the so while like potentially your master passwords hash could have been leaked or something, which is super serious. Like I'm not downplaying a data breach. That's insane. Uh, it's, it's the actual risk to people's passwords is essentially nil. Uh, pretty minimal. Yeah. yeah. Damn. They've had, I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at the last pass on Wikipedia and it's like security issues, 2011 security incident, 2015 security breach, 2016 security incidents, 2017 security incidents, two of which were from Tavis, by the way. One was the last pass Chrome extension and another was an RCE based on navigating to a... Hold on. What now? <laughs> Sorry. Discovered an additional security flaw allowing remote code execution based on the user navigating to a malicious website. That, I think that one was in the uh, last pass. You can install some little extra binary on your machine, and it was in that. Um, ah. I, what What's definitely true about LastPass, having written a lot of code for them, is a lot of the code is spaghetti. Uh, and uh, especially on the browser side of, like, autofilling passwords into... Like, that's actually really hard to do when you consider... Everybody wants their passwords to autofill magically and work properly. Um, when you go to a website and click your password, you want it to autofill, uh, and then you, and then that's all fine and dandy. But then it only takes a few websites doing crazy things to make that logic really complicated. Like if you've ever logged into Fidelity, I made the autofill logic for Fidelity work once in the last pass extension, and when you fill in the username you have to press tab or click in the password field to like obfuscate the username. They do that weird username obfuscation thing. That's right, yeah. Where the last like eight num letters or numbers uh, switch to asterisks or like dots or something. So it uh, just like a couple of those make the extension just insane. There are some people who use frame sets for their login page and or uh, iframes where you're on the slash login, but the actual place you put your password in is in a separate iframe, and it's just like uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I can see that being a problem, right? I, so 
Yeah, so you're not shocked. Is basically super hacky. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's super hacky. But the uh, at the end of the day, the alternative is a lot worse. And if you don't want to use LastPass, you're free to use another uh, password manager. And the um, and also you don't have to use something in browser. Like all of these bugs are always the browser extensions. Oh, my cat just joined my desk uh, here. Hi. What's your cat's name? Kiwi. <laughs> Kiwi? Yeah. All right. Now I know one of your security. Yeah, there you go. Oh, no. Oh, shoot. <laughs> go change them all. What high school did you go to? That's name. That's easier. That's awesome. Sorry. Didn't mean, to, didn't mean to air out your security question. I'm just making this shit up. Hey, by the way, I did look at when, like, how many days it's been since you were last on the, the uh, podcast. It was one year and eight months and 16 days ago. Wow. Yep. That's so cool. that's close to two years ago that you were on here. So that's. I'm glad you guys had me back. I just had to wait long enough for you guys to forget how much of a train wreck. I was <laughs> nah, no, not at all. Yeah, no, we're happy to have you back. I mean, oh, well, and you know, I, I guess we should probably we should probably talk about Evan since it's been so long. Yeah, uh, Evan runs product security at Cloudflare. Evan's spoken at a whole bunch of places. Like I mentioned, one of those was on this podcast, but he's spoken at a bunch of conferences. Um, do you still are you, I? Do you attend the OWASP Bay Area, or do you um, help run that? I can't remember. I attend once in a while. Um, I know Leaf, or yeah, I think Leaf does a lot of that. Um, I haven't been too involved. Yeah, I just know that it seems like like you, Leaf. I know that you know. There's a few folks, um, Asta, who are all involved in that, and I just couldn't remember. But yeah, so um, Cloudflare obviously recently IPO. There's uh, some stuff we can talk about, some stuff we can't. Um, but you know, one of those things is like basically just talking about what your role is there as product security, um, as the head of product security, um, talking about what your program consists of, and just you know walking us through your day. What you what do you do? Oh, great! Uh, I get up around. Uh, <laughs> no. <it's>, uh, <laughs> At Cloudflare, uh, our product security team really has two jobs. And the first is we work with all of the engineering teams to help them uh, either ship their products more securely or do whatever they're doing in a secure way where we're not opening up our customers to any new risks. We're not opening up uh, the company to any new risks. And then lastly, I think that we're the watchdogs where we make sure that we're not shipping an insecurity product where we're not actually solving any problems, where we're actually getting like meaningful security with the things that we're offering. Um, and then the other thing that product security is at Cloudflare is we're an engineering team. So we build new security controls. We, we build new features. Uh, occasionally we, uh, we basically own the changes that we want to see in production and in, uh, in the product. Um, whether, yeah, it's a new feature, a new security control, a new network vulnerability scanner, whatever it is. Yeah. I, so, and for like contrast, uh, our team at GitHub, we were all called, we just called it AppSec and did all of those functions. And then it was split out from product security building. Like you just said, more of the security controls and app, and then AppSec being its own thing that does like bug bounties and like pull request reviews and like new apps that are going reviews of new apps and new features and just things like that. Like more of the, um, 
Yeah. Like I think you use the term watchdog, like more of that kind of work. And then working with cert, you know, if something happens, uh, security incident response. When something happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If something happens, when something happens is the better. Exactly. That's when something happens, which by the way, if like you have a cert team, treat them well, because those poor people, they're just, it's like, you're always on call and it's just a, what a rough job. Like I have a lot of sympathy for those, for what they have to go through. Um, yeah, that's like a tough, that's a really tough job. We, you know what, Seth, we need to get somebody from a cert team on here, actually, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that would be, I mean, it'd be interesting to talk to them, right? Especially from an AppSec perspective, what they do on the cert side of things. But yeah, that's a tough job, right? I, I think we've all been involved with it at some level, but if you're the front line of defense there, it's, it's hard. Um, it's a lot of sleepless nights. Everything Does your team do any of those activities, Evan? Uh, we get involved in basically every product security incident that is happening. We are there to help resolve it and um, do some of the cleanup. So yeah, anytime something goes wrong where uh, it's one of our products, we're, we're right there. That makes sense. It does make sense, right? You're going to have the... Uh going to have that domain specific knowledge um when it comes to like code security and, and, and i mean i imagine cloudflare is a pretty big target um just because so much traffic flows through cloudflare um you're responsible for for so much just like networking traffic oh yeah and it's all it's oftentimes hard we get bug bounty reports and stuff where people are learning the properties of HTTP in our bug bounty where they are like, hey, I <laughs> request the Cloudflare's Edge and I change the host header and I get back different results. And it's like, yeah, that's called HTTP, like way to go. And so, uh, and, and that's an easy one, but when things get more complicated and you're getting into like weird edge cases and RFCs where you're um, trying to split hairs between, well, did the RFC author mean this or this? And then uh, what, What's the, what's the right behavior here? Um, and and it, it can get really challenging. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that was one of my favorite. It does seem like there's a lot of that that goes on. I, I mean, I see it in reports that clients give us. Like, they're like, oh, this was tested last year. There's a finding in there that somebody copied the cookie values from one browser to another and could still see the content. And I'm like, Great. Yeah, that's exactly how stateless sessions work. Good job. And then when they logged out of the first browser, it logged out of the other one as well. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we definitely see that, but the, the edge cases, I'm sure, you know, they're always more you difficult. Pay that consultant. Um, I, I, this, this was after me, so, or this was before we came in, but it's been a running joke since then. Is we're like, oh no, it uses get. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. People don't understand. Anyway. Um, yeah. Other than that, like I, I, the other thing I, I wanted to ask you about was the whole, like you, you were involved pretty heavily on the cap one breach, like from a reporting perspective, like surprisingly so, right. You, know, we were, you were all famous and being interviewed by, I don't know what CNN, is that what it was? Or that kind of blew up in an unexpected way. I wrote some blog posts and, uh, it, it got retweeted a bunch and then I talked with Krebs about it. Yeah. And then from there it really blew up. Like I um, talked with fortune and um, some folks in the government 
who wanted to understand it a little better and, and the technical take, the hot take that I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just really interesting how it kind of blew up. Yeah. I, I mean, do you feel like that was linked because Krebs linked to it initially that, you know, it really took off? Is that is that where it came from or was it something else that you did? I mean, obviously just having a hot take about it, I'm sure it was helpful and something documented. Yeah, just juicy takes on Twitter uh, will take you far in life, I guess, <laughs> is what I from that. But the, uh, yeah, Krebs, re- I think somebody big retweeted it and then Krebs included it in an article about the metadata service in AWS. Yeah. Read about it here. And uh, then from there, a lot of people were interested. Okay. I, I mean, it makes sense. It was a, I mean, at least your 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 process and reasoning was all very well thought out. You know, again, a lot of the hot takes on Twitter were, oh, you know, they did every absolutely everything wrong, and you know, it was an open S three bucket, and we're like, no, no, it really wasn't. You know, but. one of the crazy things was explaining the technical concepts of like AWS to non technical people through that process, and they're like why wasn't Capital One re- reading their, I've heard of this in CloudTrail, why wasn't Capital One reading all of their CloudTrail logs? And uh, I was explaining like, well, when you have 100 AWS accounts and like a multi-million AWS bill, you're getting hundreds of millions of CloudTrail events a day. And how many people are you gonna pay to read that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like just talking about the metadata service, describing it to somebody who's non-technical was challenging. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So there's Why something that runs on the server that? that tells the server what it is? I don't get, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that being a challenging, uh, you know, discussion. Explain that to your mom, you know, good luck with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, orchestration in general is not like the easiest thing to explain to anybody who's not, doing that for a living. It's like, all right, so you know what hypervisors are. <laughs> That's oh, the baseline. No. <laughs> I can't help you then. <laughs> Is that what kids with ADD have? <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah, that's a... A rough one. And another big thing that happened with with you was that you were on the uh, floor of the stock exchange for the in New York for the uh, for the uh, Cloudflare IPO, uh, which is pretty exciting. I'm curious what that experience was like. I mean, like, was it was it is it like really crazy on the? I've never obviously been, so I don't know. Like, is it crazy on the floor? Or is it? Um, it was a lot of standing around. <laughs> really. Yeah, it was super fun. It was an awesome experience. I'll probably never get to do again. Um, but the actual floor was uh, like you were there for a couple hours and there's not a lot to do. Um, whereas in my role, I'm not like involved in any of that. I just happened to get to go. I was I won an internal lottery, which allowed me to go to the stock exchange. Uh, and the uh it was it was a lot of fun was it like chaotic like they show on tv where it's just like pure chaos and crazy and like have you ever seen the movie uh trading places with eddie murphy i have love it yeah uh that that's what i imagined where there's all these guys trading 
orange juice futures <laughs> and it's just madness but uh i didn't see any of that oh it was like pretty uh, pretty like and now now it's all computers that's not fast enough anymore right that's the whole yeah. thing oh computers are ruining my idea of the stock exchange now dang it dang it uh, it's gotta be pretty that's gotta be pretty cool though it's gonna be like a fun experience like you know so again, it's something that most of us never get to see or do. Yeah, it was pretty wild, the whole experience of it all, like seeing the big Cloudflare banner up there on the front of the stock exchange and um, uh, the kind of in like being there in the room, like you've seen it on TV a ton of times, but being there uh, and actually seeing all the machines out there and all these traders with their candle charts everywhere uh i i saw the candle charts and I, my first thought was are these people trading bitcoin because you go to <laughs> and you always see the candle graph <laughs> oh yeah it, it's Sounds just like a more it. mature version of bitcoin right That's yeah what options are stocks are <clears throat> so now it makes sense. Well, like to, to go back to that though, like that experience is cool, but like in the run up to that, I, I know that there's all like the SEC like regulations about, you know, what you can do and say, I know we wanted to have you back or back on the podcast, a, you know, a month ago or whatever, but you were, you're like Cloudflare was prepping for the IPO. And that was one of the things that you couldn't come on. But from a day-to-day -day perspective, did that actually affect what you were doing internally yeah i uh i learned that once we filed rs1 there's something called a quiet period i'd never heard of that uh and so i wasn't able to come on but then the um but day to day like it affected me none really i'm just securing things security and security accessories so uh we're just making sure that we kept the lights on and we were doing our jobs and um tried not to get distracted with all the hoopla yeah yeah makes sense right and not reading any articles because just nothing good you can just sit there reading articles about your company every day and it just is not a good use of your time yeah it's that whole inflated ego you know cloudflare's the best thing ever right no. i didn't read any of those articles no <laughs> <laughs> those are articles you wanted to read. <laughs> I'd love to read those ones. I mean, you started with Cloudflare when they were pretty small, right? Like, I mean, you originally started a, year, a few years ago, I thought. Yeah, when I joined, uh, the security team was me and the head of security. And um, the I joined in 2015 when there was about 120 people. Dang, that's and, small. Uh, yeah, it's been kind of crazy. I left for like a year and some change, but the um, company's just been steadily growing and uh, the security team is now getting larger and we're getting pretty mature where we have like real functions and teams and stuff. Like I'm a leading product security and we have like a real compliance team and compliance certifications, who knew? And then a yeah. bunch of other stuff. So it's kind of crazy to go from um, just two people with a hack free hacker one account that somebody just signed up for, and we had and we kind of like made a lot more problems with that than we solved just not having the resources to staff it. But going from that to 
an IPO where we have a whole team and a lot of smart people solving a lot of problems at once. Uh, it's kind of wild. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, let's dig into that a little bit, like what, what Cloudflare is actually doing. Cause I mean, on the, I, I mean, on the back end, you've got all your security functions and everything like that, but from like a consumer or a business perspective, there's a lot of security functionality that comes from Cloudflare that we, yeah, I mean, we depend on, right? Um, I, kn- I know you were talking about the Cloudflare access stuff. I do want to talk about that some, um, cause that's a fairly new feature. I mean, the 1.1.1.1 mm-hmm. app and everything that goes along with that. Like it feels like we're depending on Cloudflare for a lot more security. And even from a consumer perspective, people don't realize that that they're depending on Cloudflare, even though they are. So, you know, maybe talk about that a little bit, just so people can, if people aren't familiar with Cloudflare, they can at least understand it a little bit better. Yeah, uh, you're the 1.1.1.1 app, uh, we announced it, I think, April 1st. And mm-hmm. it's not a VPN, but it's a consumer basically uh, uh, gives you protection for your uh, for your communications over the wire and that's been a really interesting engineering like a lot of engineering work went into that and is still going into it since it's not publicly released yet I think they added some folks to a beta uh, yeah. but the I, I still don't think it's publicly released. Um, and that's been really exciting to work on the engineering internals of it. Um, caring. So, yeah. What was the driver for that? Right. Like I know you guys had the secure DNS, you know, it, which was, yeah. And then 1.1.1.1 has been out for a while as far as it as being a DNS provider, but what was the thinking behind offering that up? I, you know, it, it seems to fit a little bit into Cloudflare, like opening up the internet and like making things easier, but, like why concentrate on the security aspect there? On the security aspect, I mean, we are close to a lot of eyeballs and we can provide people a performant like virtual connection to our to our edge. And so mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Uh, and the thing that I really was worried about with it was if this thing really takes off, like we're responsible for a lot of, communication that we didn't previously see and people are going to be crossing borders with that people are going to be uh with that app people are going to be like using it to uh they're going to be installing it and i'm sure people will install it in hostile areas and use it and so we have we have a pretty large responsibility to make sure that it's uh pretty bulletproof and then the technology behind it is really neat. It's all based on WireGuard, uh, the WireGuard protocol. And uh, we open sourced the actual thing that runs inside of both the application and the server on our GitHub. It's on. It's called BoringTune, uh, cloud, uh, github.com slash Cloudflare slash BoringTun. And, uh, and so that's like our Rust implementation of the WireGuard protocol. And uh, it's... So yeah, we every client gets their own private key and public key pair, and then we um, then they'll connect to our edge and we'll receive all their most of their uh, traffic or all their traffic. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I, 
mean, you know, in the, in the world of private VPNs, it, it makes sense going to you guys because you already are providing the edge for so many different companies that, yeah, it should be more performant. It's the same reason that the DNS stuff works so well, at least in, you know, my perspective is pointing at you guys is a lot easier than pointing at some of those others, especially like the local ISP where, you know, you're faster than they are, even though they're closer to me. It's always an interesting issue until, unless you understand how DNS works and then you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But realistically, most people are going to point at their local DNS provider and yeah, or their DHCP DNS yeah, provider. Yeah. We do DNS pretty well. So, uh, and we have a lot of points presence, so it, it usually is pretty good. Yeah. Yep. Holy crap. I'm looking. So I was like, I was like, Oh, I'll just go to the Cloudflare org on GitHub and uh, just like scroll through and get and find the um, repo that you're talking about. And there are, you have your company has open source. So there are nine separate pages of just open source repos that you all have um, 243 public repos. That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. You never see that. Never. Like that's a lot of companies do. Um, I, I think that's a function of us running a lot of our own infrastructure and having really specific needs. And a lot of companies like I, I know Airbnb has a ton of I, I worked at, when I was at segment. I saw engineering all hands presentations where they actually tracked the number of stars they had. And we don't get a ton of stars. And I and I think that's mostly a, re a function of us having really specific needs because we run our own infrastructure. But we do open source a ton of like interesting things that usually end up being like the go-to for people also doing that thing. Uh, so an example is like Go RTR and RPKI uh, to router server that we wrote. Uh, and that's really everybody, a lot of people I think doing RPKI are using that specific library. Yeah, I'm gonna put a link to that by the way, cause I, that's one I had come across when, when browsing and was surprised. I mean, it's just insane. Like the amount of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like driving BGP security only has 117 stars on GitHub. Um, and, but the whole, but you can like make a front end library that's uh, everybody can use that gets tens of thousands of stars. And one's not better than the other, but um, because it's so specific and niche, it doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. I'm Sorry, I'm trying to make sure that I get all the links for this stuff. It's crazy. There's so many, so many uh, code bases here. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, you know, the product of being in a like engineering focused organization, right? Uh, like, I, yeah. And, and I appreciate that too, from the segment guys or even like Netflix and others that they just like release the projects and they're not concerned about, Hey, how many stars it gets or whatever else it is. It's more about, guess what? This was useful to us and maybe somebody else can use it. Uh, like I always go back to my, uh, you know, banking days when, you know, anything that we thought about, they would never want to talk or tell anyone about because someone okay. maybe at one point could use that to know that, Hey, we use this for monitoring of one little aspect or one little application. And I'm like, really? I like, this is like, we know every, every other bank in the, in the country is dealing with the same issue and we can't like come together and come up with a good solution for this. But 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's a cultural thing for sure as well. A lot of people are averse to open sourcing things. Um, yeah. And we'd, we'd rather open source it and uh, share it, even if it's specific or niche or uh, like only useful to us just because we think it's cool. We actually got this question in our course. This uh, was it. That was last week. Yeah, last week. Because we have all of our material out on the public on a public repo, and someone was like, "Well, you know, are you concerned that it's not? You like, you know, it's not password protected. You're you're okay with that. You're not concerned about that." We're like, "If you can get everything you need just from that like repo, then what's the point of us doing this? Like, what's the?" And I feel it's the same way for code, like. What people don't realize is it's not just the the code that like is you know powering it's this whole system of you know support and your um, availability and your marketing team and your sales team and just like a whole bunch of things that all come together to make a successful company if like your one thing is your special code it's, it's this isn't tv it's not silicon valley like there's a lot that goes into a, a company other than just its code so it's nice when you see people or organizations, I, sh I should say, but yeah, ultimately, people sharing code like that—it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome because you don't have to redo that stuff. Yeah, it's, we're definitely not the pharmaceutical industry where you can have like some secret sauce that makes you bajillions of dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to find the Coke recipe. Once I get that, rich. <laughs> just so, Google it. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, it has to be right. It's, it's a trade secret. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, now, I'm, now I'm actually going to Google it. Now I'm curious. So you're going to post our Coke recipe. We're going to get a takedown notice for this episode because it's got the Coke know, recipe right? embedded in it. Great. Thanks, Ken. Well, it's on Wikipedia. What's that? They put all the ingredients on the can. That is true vault containing there's a there's like a vault for this thing too for the secret formula there's a whole legal case uh i i took a law class in college coca-cola versus coca-cola bottling company i think it went to the supreme court nice i'm sure it's on the wikipedia page right i'm looking for it wow we're we're, we're just all over the board today i Thanks, know <laughs> <laughs> these are my favorite episodes though yeah. Cola. Uh, we don't need. Wow. I can't find it. Coke versus Coke bottling. Yeah, I'm curious about this now. So, well, well Kim sorry, goes down like, the rabbit yeah. hole. <laughs> Evan, you know what? What's we'll next for you? Out, right. Like, click. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What what is it that's got your attention right now? I mean, you know, obviously, like you were, you just went through the IPO. You like you've been working on the one on one one stuff. You're you know internally building out processes and everything. But kind of what's on your radar? What is it that you're paying attention to that seems interesting and in, you know in AppSec specifically, but security in general? Yeah, there's two things. One is uh, the first is. Uh, we built this feature that's available through Cloudflare Access for SSH certificates okay. uh, that we're starting to use internally where you can SSH into, we want to make it so when our SREs SSH into production, 
They do it with an SSH certificate signed by Cloudflare Access. Um, and that's in the name of dog fooding. We want to do that to make to use the product and find issues with it and make a better product. And I actually helped write some of the software for that. So I was, I'm kind of involved and I care a lot about it. Um, it's kind of, if you're familiar with Netflix's Bless, uh, it's basically, it's similar to that where when you put a, the, the SSH certificate authorities public key into your SSH config, and then you can uh, sign, have an SSH CA sign a new key for a period of time that's good for a short period of time, and then you uh, connect to the server uh, using that key. And uh, we're, we're doing that and rolling that out internally, and that's one thing that has a lot of, that I'm focused on. And then the other thing is we have all these security products and I'm trying to bring about the idea of um, software assurance. I've never hear people in Silicon Valley talk about software assurance, but I bought, I bought an extremely expensive PDF from the, uh, it's not the FAA, but some org that sells this thing about what it takes to ship uh, software in the aviation industry for commercial software uh, on first for commercial any commercial flight if you have software running on that flight it has to go through this rigorous software assurance standard it's like the fed ramp of the aviation industry and mm -hmm. um, and it's called the do 178c and I'm trying to bring some ideas from that into uh, into like our day job at Cloudflare where uh, we're so big and us doing the right thing is so important that every bug has to be treated like it'll crash the airplane. So we, we have to take every bug very seriously and, uh, and make sure that we treat every bug as a security or reliability bug. Um, yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Like Ken and I have been having a lot of discussions on like doing when we're doing the secure code review stuff as you're stepping through things and you've got like your, you know, your AAA, but then we also talk about the the CIA triad mm -hmm. and availability is one of those things that we don't like on the secure, like the, the software engineering side, like QA may talk about it a little bit, but on the internet, it's one of those that we just kind of like, oh, it's a denial of service attack and that's it, right? Like it's... Oh, that doesn't matter because it just goes down, and then we spin up a new worker, and it's fine. Yeah, system D will restart it, so who cares? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I, that's interesting. I mean, what has the response to that been internally for your engineering teams? Are they for it? Like, how are you? How are you approaching that that idea with them? I, um, I haven't said the word software assurance too often, and okay. so it's kind of a boring sounding term. I don't think people will get excited when they hear it. Uh, so I try not to say that. And just um, pushing a little bit every single day on things that will make us more reliable, make us more robust, and um, and and make our us feel that much better about the product that we have and the software re we release. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, software assurance is like how you feel about it. 
it's you feel like this is a reliable thing it's not measurable um yeah but you can measure a bunch of things that make you feel good like hey we measured that we fixed x many bugs we measured that uh we found 10 critical bugs that one quarter and then five critical bugs the following quarter and then two the following quarter and we didn't find any so we think that we have fewer bugs and uh we feel better about this and so it's not a measurable thing uh and so kind of working through that uh so yeah at the end of the day it's how you feel and trying to do things that make us feel a little better every day one percent yeah, I, I mean, that's always an interesting problem, like re- from a reliability perspective. And uh, like we, we go back to the guys that are sitting on the CERT team or the first line of support. And, and the, those are the ones that really fill it, I'm sure. Right? I, you know, I'm thinking back to like Hacker Tracker this year at DEF CON. Like so DEF CON's the, the, the main event that people actually use the app at. And like, you know, on the iOS version, I had a bug at one point that it like if you did a certain sequence, it would crash, right? Like the app would just completely just drop out. And we've all seen those apps on your, you know, on your iPhone or your Android device that they just crash on you. But like tracking the number of people that sent things in when it was having problems, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's definitely a reliability issue. I may not know what it is, but I got to go fix it. And like, it's that whole software assurance. That's what you're speaking to. From my perspective as the, the guy supporting the app at the time, it was a, Oh crap. Like I got to go spend like two hours to figure out what's going on and like actually fix it. But you feel a lot better to your point after it, like when it stands up, like there's, there's almost like a certain amount of pride that goes into the app that you built, the software that you're, you're providing to someone when it does what you say it does in the manner in it, in a safe, secure and reliable manner. But we always forget about that reliability aspect, even though it's probably the number one reason why you stop using an application or you stop, like a consumer isn't going to use something that doesn't work. Right. Right. I mean, you know, can you, like, do you guys end up running into that a lot at GitHub or like, I mean, where, where does reliability fit there from a product security perspective? Really? I mean, from a, it doesn't, well, I don't know. I don't, well, hold on. I don't want to like miss, I don't want to say something wrong here. So, so wait, wait, wait. What you're saying is no one at GitHub can, can, cares about reliability. That's what I'm taking, right? No, there's a difference between. So let's break it out. From the AppSec <laughs> team, most of our stuff typically does not involve like reliability, right? I mean, most of the time, that's not really what the bugs that we come across are affecting. Not to say that's not ever the case, just to say. Primarily, that's not really now for product security. That absolutely is the case because they're building product security controls. So like if they introduce some like change to two-factor auth or they restructure, I don't know, the the forgot password flow or something like that, all of that um, absolutely can impact negatively reliability. And, um, you know, obviously most companies have like some service level agreement. I actually don't know what ours is. Um, just because again, like I'm on the AppSec team, I just find bugs and triage them. Uh, you know, I'm not like building in the security controls. And then from like just a re- reliability standpoint, now the one thing that we have had is uh, DDoS attacks. 
against our network and that could potentially affect reliability. But um, the last time it happened, we bounced back pretty quickly. Um, I think it was like five minutes or eight minutes or something like that. Was it? I don't, I don't remember. This was a while. This was, I think this is like right before, or right when I started. So, uh, no, no, it was, I think it was, yeah, no, no, no. Actually it was while I was there. Cause I remember because everybody's like, Oh, sorry about, you know, like I heard about this thing that happened, you know, and I was like, what happened? And so I was reading on Twitter and blogs about apparently we'd been up, you know, suffered like the biggest, the world's largest DDoS attack. Um, and oh, fewer than 10 minutes is what it says. So, um, yeah, it's pretty freaking awesome to like, there was a big DDoS on GitHub a few years ago. Um, for days, I remember. Yeah. Um, oh, I that up. Um, yeah, I'm going to put the link into the TechCrunch article. But yeah, so that's the other piece at which, like, you know, obviously anything network related like that where, you know, you can take down the site. That's a reliability issue. Um, yeah. But yeah, we don't really, like, from the AppSec team, have too much that I can think of. Maybe I'm completely mis. Yeah, we're not too worried about our site and the reliability issues. Like, we care about bugs in our site and, like, regular AppSec-type bugs. Uh, but, like, our edge, we had somebody from our team spend quite a bit of time working with these HTTP2 denial of service attacks that came out. And uh, we wrote a whole blog post about that. There was about six or seven CVEs that came out this year and making sure that we were protected before the embargo date lifted and making sure that we had um, actually actually tested that all of these denial of service attacks were um, were mitigated and um, and some of them aren't really like things you can mitigate they're just part of the protocol design and making sure that our limits were uh, were the right limits in the HTTP2 protocol and so uh, we care a lot about it at our edge uh, we had the big WAF outage in July, uh, yeah. wow, right. from uh, bad regex. And so uh, it's not very fun to deal with. I was in the room for that one uh, and and just not never fun to deal with a crisis. No, but it is a grow. It's a learning opportunity. It's like a growth. Like those hard moments are what helps shape your, your outlook and your perspective and prepare you for future situations like that. And and then, you know, going back to the very beginning of this episode with the whole, like, that bug with LastPass and, like, if you've worked blue team, if you've done defense, you have, I mean, again, like, you come across much worse things, like, than that. And so it's, maybe it's, um, it jades you a little bit or maybe, like, I don't know, maybe it just gives you the right perspective. I have no clue. I did. Hey, by the way, I did look up and I read the Coca-Cola versus the Coca-Cola Coca-Cola <laughs> modeler. And because it's so fascinating, I'm just going to circle back to it real quick. So and Evan can correct me if I'm summarizing this wrong, but it, what, it, what it read like was for like 60 years, they had a, an agreement, the bottlers with the, uh, with Coke, Coke introduced diet Coke in the early eighties. There, uh, the bottlers claimed that it's a change to their, because of the change in the ingredient and the change in the cost to Coke to, to develop the, the, the like syrup, the product for Diet Coke, um, it breached their original agreement or it was like, it wasn't part of the original agreement. So they had to make a new 
agreement with flexible pricing. However, to prove that there was some cost differential plus the ingredient itself, like the ingredients changed enough to like make that, to render that previous contract um, uh, like null and void for this new setup. Like they basically uh, said, you have to give us the, the bottlers said, we want Coke to bring the secret ingredients uh, to right. Or to, to through, through this process, litigation process, like reveal those secrets so that we can determine you know, whether or not we're, we, we should have a new contract that changes the pricing and all that stuff. Does that sound about right? And the big thing there was, it was a trade secret. Uh, Coca-Cola said that the recipe was a trade secret and that they, if, if I recall quite, uh, correctly, because I am not a lawyer and I don't pretend to play one on TV, I got a, I think an A minus in my law class. So, uh, but so that's pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lawyer, A minus, whatever. Uh, the, um, yeah. So there was all this stuff about what is a trade secret and and the steps Coca Cola went through to protect the trade secret. Uh, and and I think they determined it was a trade secret, but they still had to reveal it uh, to the bottling company. That's crazy. Yeah, seven X. Uh, hyphen 100 like so there were 7x and then there was 7x hyphen 100 and these are the that's like the secret sauce the secret ingredient that's super interesting oh I, that's, that's something you don't really think too much about is like what what would happen if someone if you like because it's crazy they just released a new flavor and then it was like well redo contracts exposure trade secret who would have thought innovating would ruin you <laughs> or well, I obviously didn't ruin them, but you know what I mean? Like it, it causes so much uh, drama. I was surprised when I read that, that there was two companies that the, it was like a separate bottling company. Uh, yeah. Weird, right. It's weird. Yeah. And I, like, if I remember right, that goes all the way back to like when Coca-Cola came, first came out, right. The way that they structured the company was okay. There's the one company that makes the syrup and then they, they send the syrup out in like packages and bottle it closer to the source, which kind of makes sense. And, but then it had to do with the distribution through the old soda, like fountains and things like it, it gets really weird when you go back that far with law and you realize everything's just one big house of cards, right? I'm going to play the nihilist today. So <clears throat> it all just needs to come crashing down at some point. Let's <laughs> take a turn. <laughs> But well, uh, this all needs to come crashing down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that's where it ends up. This is what you learn when you come on Absolute AppSec. Right? Well, you know, okay. As a brief aside, during our um, so wait, this wasn't our, this wasn't an aside. Is this is like an another aside? To our aside? Okay, yeah, another one. So, which is just what this podcast basically is—just rambling. So the. Um, we're okay with that. The course we give, we have that section that everybody has in their slides where you do your bio. And, um, but like Seth and I were talking about, it, like nobody reads those things. So we, we just made up stories about the other person. So like Seth made up a story about mine and my bio. It's just like this long, completely made. In fact, I have it here somewhere, but basically, oh my God, let me I actually let me pull this up. It's worth reading because we talk about the soda wars. Cause again, going even further into that, like in uh, Utah where Seth's at, um, they have like this, they have this, these big soda, um, like wars between the, the companies. So 
Seth, can you explain what like the soda stuff is out there? Like that whole thing while I pull up the slides? Well, there's a, I mean, there's a, there's a local, uh, you know, religious community and they don't drink coffee, right? That's, that's basically what it boils down to. So they have their own vices and one of them is soda shops. So you can find, you can find these soda shops and they'll put flavoring in the different sodas and sell them to you. But last year, the year before, there was actually a lawsuit where one of the soda shops or the chains uh, sued the other one because they were using the name like Dirty Diet Coke, which one had like trademarked or copyrighted or whatever. Saying they came up with it, which is basically just putting like coconut syrup in a Diet Coke or something like that, right? But they they were suing each other over the terms that they were using for the the actual drinks that they're serving, which are based on like you know just your standard sodas that are out there, whether that's Diet Coke or Coke or whatever it is. So like, there's this whole. If you ever come out to Utah, we'll go through one. That's that's what it, that's what it boils down to because you like it's just interesting the number of options that are out there as opposed to you know a coffee shop. So wait, so you sorry, go ahead. There's tons of sodas out in Utah. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there, and you'll see a line like around the around the shop of you know minivans and other cars when you drive by. People waiting to pick up their you know dirty diet coke or their you know slam bam Dr Pepper, whatever it is. Right? <laughs> it's slam bam Dr Pepper. <laughs> and so, like back to this soda war thing. Uh, so in, in the bio I wrote for Seth, it was one, uh, it is, and by the way, so we like talk through our normal, like you would normally describe yourself in your background, but we keep this up on the thing to see if anybody even like pays attention to these slides. So if you're, if you're, if you're going to our course, you should just pay attention to those introductions because they're not what we're saying. They're totally different. And his says, once known as the King of Cola, he ruled the mighty carbonators during the pre-century West Coast soda, soda wars. His role was cut, or his rule was cut short when high fructose corn syrup was outlawed by California, and the sugar prohibition era began. He led the first manned mission to Mars via hot air balloon, without hot air or the balloon. He speaks fourteen languages, twelve of them based on the science fiction show, show Star Trek. One he made up with his imaginary friend Sharzazel, and really, really poor old timey English. Yeah. What do I do? I need to read yours now, Ken. You can, if you want, <laughs> since we're rambling today. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just like uh, if you're in the course, you should check out those slides because we're we throw stuff up there just to see if people are paying attention. Yep. So good times. Today's episode. Wow, we really threw you off on some tangents today. <laughs> yeah, Today's we... episode, like minimal appsec. <laughs> I keep trying to pull it back and you, you have Ken like running down a rabbit hole about Coca-Cola formulas. Gosh. Just to bring it back to Coca-Cola guys, just to bring it back. <laughs> yeah, man. It's hey, it's like adult ADD, basically, whatever. <laughs> so though to go back to Cloudflare access, <laughs> yeah. the whole laugh issue. Like I, I, I heard through the grapevine that it actually caused it like with the WAF DOS that, that that happened that it actually caused problems with Cloudflare access and you guys getting access or getting into your machine. Is that is was that true? Like what actually happened there? Oh yeah. So uh since we use our own product, like if if the edge is having a reliability issue, it can be hard to get in. And so one of the things that we're super intentional about is 
making sure that we have our emergency plans set up and we have our run books set up and um, and it made for like a hectic five minutes where we were like, okay, we got to brush this dusty tome off and make sure that we know how to get get back into our systems the good old fashioned way. Uh, but the uh, but for the most part, because we have these backup ways that uh, it's it's not a very big deal. But it, okay. it just made for a more hectic four minutes, five minutes while we figured out the uh, old way. Yeah, I mean, and like realistically, I, you know, I I'm pretty sure everybody that was using the internet was like, oh, that's not loading. And then by the time that you they you know came back to it twenty minutes later, it was all fine, right? I'm sure for you guys internally, it was a you know, oh, this is a big problem because of the whole reliable site reliability. Again, we go back to that the site reliability issue and people being able to access the sites that they want to get to, but externally you know, realistically, people probably didn't notice it quite as much. <laughs> so um, I don't think we linked to Cloudflare access, but you, you said you were doing the SSH stuff associated with that, right? Yeah, I, I actually built um, one of the features and then the nice access team rebuilt it in a more production ready way. Uh, but I, the actual SSH certificate signing and all of that stuff is a library that I wrote that's on my GitHub, it's open source. Uh, okay. and the, uh, yeah, the, that's available and, and people are using it. It's still early days and there's a lot more to do. Uh, the other thing that it does is when you use it, you use it, our command line tool, Cloudflare D, which opens up a tunnel to our edge from your server. So you can be, you can run Cloudflare D on a natted server behind a bunch of stuff, uh, and it'll connect to our edge. And when you, uh, yeah, Ken, that's the one, that uh, link you just sent. When you SSH to your server that's behind the NAT, it goes through our edge and uses our edge as a jump host. And so um, and so together, so, it kind of turns the Cloudflare edge into a jump host with short-lived access being granted through Cloudflare access. Interesting. So that, uh, I mean, then that, so basically the access to that SSH is using those Cloudflare pi policies access policies to to act to to get to it correct yeah and so you can control who has access to your servers with your identity provider basically you can set groups and create policies where if you need ssh access you're in the ssh people group uh and then that the, our edge will allow that or disallow that uh-huh so i i mean it almost feels like a I don't want to say poor man's, but it, it's like an alternate to a, to setting up a VPN, right? Because you're using Cloudflare as your you're logging in via an, like an identity provider, and then that's being provided to Cloudflare, and that's where the decisioning is happening, right? Yeah, it's meant to be like a VPN replacement. It's what okay. we use internally to replace our VPN cool. is Cloudflare cool. access. Cool. Uh, we were tired of logging into it, and it's some old kludgy software and hardware, so uh, we built our own. And it runs at the edge, so it's nice. Cool. All right. Well, we'll make sure that's linked because that that does say sound you know, you know, very usable from a like a support perspective, and you know, alt an alternate way to actually get get to stuff. So. There's still a lot more work there to do, especially on the SSH certificate side. Uh, but I, Cloudflare Access supports like RDP and other stuff as well, which is neat. And uh, it's 
it's getting better one day at a time. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Cool. Well, good. Well, we've, we've rambled for a good hour. So <laughs> yeah, I did want yeah. to mention like, um, Wait, you're going back to Soda Wars or what are you going back yeah, to? I'm going now, now I'm just going to bring up some other random thing. No, I was just going to mention like uh, from um, – because we didn't talk much about it, but the, you did mention that we were at Global AppSec DC. And uh, I did want to just real briefly um, – I think it was a really well done – I think it, I think it was a really tough conference because OWASP did several conferences back to back to back. And, and also those conferences tended to overlap with like – because I think AppSec – global dc was right after DerbyCon, and then there was like the defcon black hat but like right before that was tel aviv so it, it's it's been tough for the organizers and i think they did a really good job so i was just gonna shout out to like abdullah manawar uh ben pick and sean porus for like you know basically bringing that all together for it to uh and everyone else who was involved to to make that happen so it was pretty good it was, it was a good conference it was, we got to meet some good people and then next month we're going to be in Australia, Melbourne again, with, uh, which was cool. Cause again, Julian Burton, who runs that out in, um, out in Melbourne, he was, uh, at global AppSec DC and we got to hang out and get drinks and food and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be doing that next. So Amsterdam next week, Australia, the month after not in, uh, last week, October. And then, uh, Black Hat London. If you're interested in attending our training at Black Hat London, we'll be there the first week of December. Yeah. Uh, are y'all going to do 2020 AppSec Cali? That was my favorite conference of the year. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, the only reason I say that is like, um, we've both been traveling a heck of a lot. And for me specifically, like I'm just, could use a break so I, I may or may not show up i'm not sure i love the conference i think the conference is amazing like it's a great location it's right there on the beach in santa monica you cannot get much better of a location and the speakers and the crowd i think that's an interesting one because the crowd is like basically all the people whose blogs and you know whose twitter feed and, and basically all the people that i get information from they're all there as attendees or speakers or both yep no, yeah, like I'm, I'm sure I'll be down there for that. Just depends on, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to be doing the training this year just because we've been doing it quite a bit. It may actually just be, we'll, we'll submit for like a CFP or just try and come down for it. One of the two. So cool. What else are you going to, Evan? I mean, like we always ask the guests like where people can meet you or, you know, find you online, that kind of stuff. I'm still mulling around um, besides Lisbon. Uh, which is Portugal, and uh, we recently announced our Cloudflare office in Portugal, and so it'd be great to check in there with the security team, and also since we have folks over there on the security team, and uh, then it'd be great to do, um, I, I want to do, I, I try not to do a lot of conferences because usually when I go, I'm speaking, and it's just a lot of work, yeah. uh, and so, and I don't, when I go to a conferences and I'm not speaking, I don't really go to talks. I don't really attend much just because I don't enjoy the talks. It's just hard for me to sit around and with all the people there. So uh, the other two conferences I'm looking at are um, the AppSec Cali I just mentioned because it was just great on the beach, all the nice people. 
in the sun. And then the last one is Locomocosec. I haven't made it out ever to Locomocosec. And so I'm trying to, I'll, I'll probably try to this year. Oh, wow. You had that all like queued up, didn't you, Ken? Yeah, I had it queued up because I was actually going to mention on October 18th, the CFP goes live for Locomocosec. So, and and, and what, what, what is Locomocosec? Yeah, so heard of this one before. It's this beautiful place where all these smart people get together and basically you watch talks and then you hang out at the pool and you get some drinks and you just laugh a lot, just in general, have a good time, usually at the Seth's expense because he's not there. And so we just tweet a lot of pictures and at Seth, you know, all, you know, yeah, just there you go. There you go. What's going on slash give him crap for not attending. So, yeah. Yeah. So this year I expect Seth might be there. Maybe. <laughs> Is Hawaii a card? Yeah. yeah. It's a hard sell. Yeah. Just got to keep the cards close to the chest, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. cool. Well, um, we'll, we'll post a link obviously to your Twitter account, things like that. Evan. Um, Great. People can, you know, and people can always find us all online. I mean, I think we're all on Twitter. So, or in the different Slack channels, if you haven't joined, feel free to join episode apps like Slack or, you know, find us on some of those other channels that are, are shared amongst the group. Um, and, but thanks again for joining and, you know, rambling all over the world with us today. Um, thanks yeah. for having it's, me. It's always AppSec, absolute Coca-Cola. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Lamb, bam, die, doctor. <laughs> there you go. Got it. Sweet. Appreciate well, it. People are getting the most bang for their no money that they pay for this. So, yeah, yeah, there you there go. You go. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Well, thanks for having me, y'all. It's been fun. And I look forward to the next episode, watching who you have next. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Definitely. Your time is valuable. We appreciate you spending it with us and our viewers. Great. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it for today. Ken, anything else? Nope. All right. Thanks everybody for joining. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care.